So we're in the book of Luke. We're making our way line by line, verse by verse. We started in chapter 1, verse 1. I don't know how long ago, a while. And we are now in chapter 17. I'm excited about where we're going in the book of Luke. We are about to enter into the, the last week of the life of Jesus. It's, there's so many good lessons we're going to learn over the next few months, um, the rest of this year. I'm really excited about it. We're going to look at Jesus on the cross. We're going to look at him go to the cross. We're going to see him on the cross. We're going to look at his resurrection. Great, great stuff. In this passage, he talks about the last days. And that's the title of the message. Jesus talks about the last days. And you might think, if you're familiar with Luke, we're in Luke 21. But we're not. We're in Luke 17. In Luke 21, he talks to his disciples about what the end of the world's going to be like. And it's a parallel passage to Mark 13, Matthew 24, Luke 21. In this passage, the Pharisees ask him, what, where is the kingdom of God? He answers them and then turns around and talks to his disciples about the end of the world. And, and you know, like, just like when we teach, we talk about things over and over again because sometimes it takes us to get it. So Jesus talks to his disciples in Luke 17 and he talks to them in Luke 21. He'll expand on it again in a couple of chapters. But he's going to talk about what the world is like before he is revealed from heaven to get his church and returns to this earth. And shocking, it's a lot like the world is today. All right? We are living in the last of the last days. We have a war brewing in the world. Uh, Jesus said that these are like birth pains. There's a pestilence. Is there a pestilence in the world? There's a pestilence in the world. Um, the Bible talks about pestilences. The Bible talks about natural disasters in the last days. The Bible says the love of many will grow cold. Half, half the people in the world hate the other half the people in the world. It's not just the United States. Half pe the people hate the other half. The love of many will grow cold. And it says lawlessness will abound. Lawlessness is not just abounding here. Lawlessness is abounding around the world. More people were killed in the 20th century than all the other centuries before it. That's a pretty incredible thing. And, and people say, well, that was the 20th century. We're in the 21st. Yeah, there is a camp in, in Syria that houses 4 million migrants from Syria. Their cities have been so destroyed by a proxy war from Saudi Arabia and Iran, Russia backing Iran, the United States backing Saudi Arabia in Syria that has 4 million people in an immigration camp. 4 million people. So the world is in bad shape. The world's getting better in certain ways. The, the poverty level is rising around the world, and that's good. But the Bible also says that one day Mystery Babylon will be destroyed. And you say, well, what's Mystery Babylon? I don't know. It's a mystery. Mystery Babylon will be destroyed, and the merchants of the world are going to mourn because they've been made rich off of it. So there's something. At the same time, certain areas are getting better. Things are getting worse. And I'll ask you, as you look around the world today, is it getting better or is it getting worse? Worse. It's just our observation. And that's what the Bible says is going to happen before the last days. Now, I want to cover just a few things before we get to our text, just to help us really be ready for it. First of all, um, there, is a, there are differences in what Christians believe about the theology of eschatology. Eschatology is a theological word that means the study of the last days. Some believe there will be no millennium. 
Some believe it's an allegory. Some believe that Jesus comes back before the millennium. Some believe that we're going to Christianize the world and then hand over a Christianized world to Jesus. And I want to say this, these, these discussions on eschatology, they are an in-house study. They are, excuse me, they are an in-house discussion. We're talking among Christians. You believe in Christ and I believe in Christ and you believe something different than I do about eschatology. Let your gentleness be known to all men. Philippians 4, 5. We don't need to attack each other. We don't need to say each other's an idiot because we believe one thing or believe something else. I think that people get into those kind of modes because of insecurities. I'm just, I think that this is really true. I think we get insecure about our views. So if somebody has a different view than we do, we attack them because we're insecure. Don't be insecure. So you don't have a complete understanding about it. So what? Be more informed. And, and if somebody believes something different than me, if I'm talking to an all-millennialist, which believes there's no real millennium, that the world, post-millennialism, that the world's going to get better and better and better, we're going to hand it over to Jesus, I, I just say, well, oh yeah, I, I don't believe that. You know, I, and I'll try to say what I believe. And if we can have a discussion about it, great. And if we can't, great too. I'm not worried about that. And if you are an all-millennialist, a post-millennialist, if you're a post-tribulationist, uh, the rapture, and you're here among us, welcome. We'd love you to be a part of what we're doing. We'd love you to minister with us. We'd love you to be here. It's an in-house discussion. And if all we ask is that you wouldn't be divisive. That's all we ask. That you wouldn't take what's being taught from the pulpit and then be divisive about it so that you would mess people's faith up. Take a new believer and make a big deal out of eschatology when they just need to be growing in Christ in the beginning. So that's all that we ask. But you can do anything here. You can be a leader here. You can do anything if you have different views on certain things than what we have. Not the main things, but certain things. So this is an in-house discussion, and that's really important for us to understand. However, it is important to know that there is a time coming called the tribulation period that is worse than anything this world will ever go through and worse than anything it's ever seen. That's not me. That's Jesus. So argue with him if you don't believe it. Matthew 24, 21. We also know that the characteristic of this tribulation period is God's wrath, anger, and indignation. God is patiently, lovingly waiting while the world is doing all kinds of wicked things and his indignation is building up. He wants to see more people saved, but he is going to pour his anger out on the world. If you were the judge of the universe, how scary is that? If you were the judge of, of this earth and you saw everything that happened last night in this world, all of the horrible things that happened, I think you would wake up and go, that's it. I'm, I'm, I'm bringing judgment now. But the Bible says that God is more gracious than any man. God is more patient. God is more loving. And God desires that people would get saved. It doesn't mean he won't judge. It doesn't mean he's not going to pour his wrath out upon this world. He's angry at the way people are doing things. And he will pour his anger out. But not on the church. He's not mad at you. He's not mad at me. He's not mad at us. He's not mad at the church. And so Romans, and there's an easy way to remember this, Romans 5.9 and 1 Thessalonians 5.9 both tell us in the context of the last days that we 
will not endure the wrath of God. And so people say, well, well you, just want, you, 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 know, you just want to escape tribulation. Well, not really, because I know that in this world I will have tribulation. I, I, I was listening to Jordan Peterson here lately. He's a psychologist. And Jordan Peterson said, life is a tragedy. And he, what he means is we all are going to have tragedies. Bad things are going to happen to people we love. Bad things are going to happen to us. Something's going to happen to us to cause us to die. And life is a tragedy. Jesus said the same thing when Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Now, Jordan Peterson said that life is a tragedy, but God turned it into a comedy. He's talking about a literary agent. He's not talking about a comedy movie. He's talking about a literary agent. I changed his quote a little bit to make it better to understand. Life is a tragedy, but God turns it into a triumph. The tragedy we face that will end our lives is not the end. And if there's a triumph that is there. And we are not going to go through the tribulation period. I do not believe. So a couple of characteristics about the tribulation period. In uh, Jeremiah 37, it says of this period, alas, for the day is great and there is none like it. It is a time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. So God's going to take Israel. Jacob had his name changed to Israel. So he's talking about the nation of Israel. And it's a time of Israel's trouble. Israel has rejected Jesus as their Messiah. Remember, Jesus is Jewish. And they, they came into his own and his own did not receive him. And God's going to take them through a tragedy to be able to bring them to Christ. Many of you who have come to Jesus came out of real difficulties in your life. You faced difficulties. That caused you to turn to the Lord. God's going to do it to Israel. Romans 11, 25 and 26 says that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled and then they will all be saved. Great verse. That, that the Jewish people are going to one day realize Jesus is the Messiah. And as a mass group, they are going to receive him as their Messiah. Another thing the Bible says is that it's a time of God's wrath and anger. And there are many verses I could go to in the Old Testament to, to demonstrate this. But let me just give you one. And if you want more of, to, you want to know whether or not this is true, just take time to look it up. Take time to do your own research. In, uh, Jer uh, excuse me, in Isaiah 13, 13, it says, God says, therefore, I will shake the heavens. This isn't God just bringing wrath on the earth. The whole universe will be shaken. It's one thing when, you, when the ground is supposed to be stable shakes. It's another thing when you look at the universe and see it being destroyed. Therefore, I will shake the heavens and the earth will move out of her place. We know the earth is at an axis now, right? Causes seasons, causes the poles to be frozen. We know it was straight up and down at one point because there's vegetation underneath the poles. It was at one point a jungle on the poles. And so the only way that can happen is if the axis of the earth is straight up and down. It shifted at some point in history. Maybe during the flood, maybe God shifted it. And the Bible says that water came out of its sockets. So the, the, it just shifted and everything just kind of shifted. But the Bible also says in the last days, the earth is going to wobble like a drunk man. It's going it's to come off its axis again. So he says, um, and the earth will move out of her place in the wrath of the Lord of hosts in the day of his fierce anger. 
So it's characterized by God's anger. When me and my sister would be playing, my dad would say, settle down. We'd keep, we'd keep messing around, settle down. We kept messing around. He's reading his paper in his, his chair and he'd go, by golly, that's it. Throw the paper down. And me and my sister would go, ah, we went too far. That's what happens. That's what happens. God, God finally says enough. Enough of the way that people are treating one another. 1 Corinthians 15 talks about a mystery. It says we're not all going to die, but some of us are going to be changed in a moment and a twinkling of an eye. And this mortal is going to put on immortality. This corruptible body is going to put on incorruption and that this flesh cannot inherit the kingdom of God. I can't take this flesh into heaven. It has to be changed. I realize that that's strange. I realize that people will say, you believe that we're going to all like, whoop, disappear? Are we going to have clothes on or not? I don't know. So wear clean underwear. All right? Your mom told you to anyway, so wear it. There's a lot of strange things in the Bible because anything supernatural is strange. Dead, dead men don't get up, especially ones that have been crucified and stabbed in the side. And Jesus rose from the dead. That's strange. And so is it that we will meet the Lord in the clouds. But the Bible says it. And like the saying goes, God said it and I believe it. In John 1, 3, as Jesus is talking to his disciples at the Last Supper, he says, I'm going away. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. I'm going to prepare a place for you and I am going to come and receive you to myself that where, you, that where I am, you may be also. He didn't say, I'm going to come back to this earth. He said, I'm going to come back and get you that where I am, there you may be also. In 1 Thessalonians 13 and 14, the, the Thessalonians were confused. This is very early in Christianity. The book of Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians is the first New Testament book to be written. Before Matthew, before the Gospels, was 1 Thessalonians. They did not have the advantage that you and I have of all of the passages that talk about us being absent in the body is to be present with God. That we will be in His presence. They didn't have that. So when people died, and there was a lot of persecution because it was a Roman city, and they were saying Jesus is Lord instead of Caesar is Lord. And so they were being killed. And some of their friends had been martyred. And they were heartbroken. And, and they were confused. And they thought they missed it. What's going to happen to them? Jesus is going to come back. They knew about the rapture. The, the, one of the first churches, well, Paul planted the church early in church Christian history. They knew about the rapture. And so Paul says, listen, I don't want you guys to grieve as others who have no hope. For when, when Jesus returns, he's going to bring with him those who are, in, who are dead in Christ. That's the intermediate state. And the dead in Christ are going to rise first. This is a resurrection, part of the first resurrection. And we who are alive and remain will be caught up. And that word caught up is the Greek word harpazo. In the Latin Bible, it's raptura. That's where you get rapture from. I get, I get a lot of, we as a church, get a lot of rude comments on our social media. I know that's weird. I know it never happens to you, all right? We get a lot of, of, of rude comments. And people will say things like, you know, when, on, a, on, a, on a video we do on the rapture, they'll go, there's no rapture. That's just their comment. There is no rapture. And I always am so tempted to go, yes, there is. 
But what I usually say is something like, could you give us a, a brief explanation of why you believe there's not a rapture? Because that's just what, you, that would be good, right? You can make a statement, just give a brief explanation of what you believe. Um, I don't believe the passages you think are the rapture actually talk about the rapture. I think they talk about this. Just give us something. The Bible clearly teaches these things. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 44, Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you don't expect. This means Jesus is not going to come back when you expect him. To me, that takes out the middle of the tribulation period, two-thirds of the way through, the pre-wrath position. It takes away the post position because we're going to be expecting him. Flesh is going to be rare. There's going to be all these strange, horrible, awful things happening, but he's going to come when we don't expect him. And so we've got to be ready. Jesus said, be ready. You don't know when I'm returning. Be ready. Are you ready? You've got you to get ready. You've got to stay ready. Revelation 3.10, God promises that he will keep us from this time. He says to the faithful church in Revelation, because you have kept my command to persevere, I will also keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Literally in the Greek, earth dwellers. And this is used often, talking about the last days. He's coming to judge earth dwellers. You and I, the Bible says, are sojourners. We're passing through. This world's not our home. Not of this world. I don't belong here. I belong in heaven. I'm here as an ambassador of Christ. An ambassador belongs to the country that he is an ambassador for. The Bible says we are ambassadors. We don't belong here. We got to get, get disconnected from this world. We're too connected to it often. We need to get disconnected from it. And we need to be ready. So all of this can, and more convinces me that the rapture will occur before the tribulation period. This awful time is coming. And during the seven-year period, I believe we will be taken out. People say, well, wait. It says there's saints in the tribulation period. Yes, people get saved after we're gone. And Israel is left behind because they don't believe. And they become saints. In the tribulation period, they become saints. And, and re read it. Read Revelation. It talks about Israel. 144,000, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And, and more than that. I mean, it's just all over. It's talking about Israel. But, but there's this theology, replacement theology, that believes that God has replaced Israel with the church so they can't believe that that's Israel. They believe it's the church because they believe that God replaced the church. But Israel is a nation today. We're the first, we're the first generation... Since Israel was, was destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD, we're the first generation that has Israel in the country. And God said he would restore it, said he would bring the people back. God said that it, Jeru Jesus himself said Jerusalem was going to be controlled again by the Jews when the time of the Gentiles was fulfilled. I don't know if you've been to Jerusalem lately. There's an awful lot of Jewish people in, in Jerusalem. You say, well, it's Jerusalem. Yeah, but you realize that for hundreds of years, over a thousand years, that they weren't there. They had been dispersed and they have come back. And it's something. One pastor said it's God's super sign to a world. Pay attention. Israel has reentered the land. And so in verse 20 in our text, Jesus says, excuse me, they asked Jesus, 
Verse 20. Now, when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered and said, the kingdom of God does not come by observation, nor will they say, see here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is not Israel. The kingdom of God is not the world. The kingdom of God is inside of each one of us. When I was down in Lake Obiachi in Mexico, kingdom of God was there. When I'm here came, uh, among you guys, kingdom of God is here with us. When we go to Israel, kingdom of God is with us in Israel. And when Jesus comes and establishes his kingdom on the earth, it's not about the earth being his kingdom. It's about his kingdom being in his people who are all around the earth. He rules the world, but the kingdom of God is within us. It's not a place. It's in each one of us. Then it says in verse 22, then he said to his disciples, these guys are not asking seriously. Jesus, John the Baptist came and said, get your lives ready because the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus came talking about the kingdom of God. He said, the kingdom of God is like a mustard tree. The kingdom of God is like a man who finds a treasure in a field. He talked about the kingdom a lot. And so they're like, okay, when's it going to happen? I think that's how they said it. I think they were sarcastic and Jesus turns from them. There's a lesson in this. Some of you guys have ongoing conversations with people that are hostile towards the gospel and they are rude and even blasphemous towards you, towards, towards God. So Jesus said, don't cast your pearls before swine. If there's an open door, if they're interested, then share the gospel. If they're rude and insulting, then don't do it. Wait for God to open the door. Don't cast your pearls before swine. And so Jesus turns from these Pharisees because they're not really interested. And he turns to his disciples who are. And he says to them, the day will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look here and look there. Do not go after them nor follow them. So he says, the days will come when you will want to see the days of the Son of Man and you won't see them. The Son of Man is Jesus' favorite reference to himself and it literally means human. And you say, well then, Son of God must be his divinity and Son of Man must be his humanity. Jesus is fully human and fully God. But, that, but, but the Son of Man is not a statement of his humanity. It's an even stronger statement of his divinity. Son of God is his divinity and Son of Man is his divinity. You say, well, how can that be? Because of Daniel chapter 7. This is the Old Testament. See, the, the Old Testament is full of this complexity of God and you see the Godhead in the Old Testament a lot. And in Daniel chapter 7, it says in a vision, Daniel sees thrones. Thrones. And the Ancient of Days is sitting on a throne. We know who the Ancient of Days is. right? It's the Father. And then it says... The Son of Man comes on the clouds and joins with the Ancient of Days. And the Son of Man is given a kingdom and power and dominion forever. When Jesus stood before Caiaphas, the high priest, it's a king standing before a high priest. Caiaphas should have been bowing before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. But instead he says, are you the Son of God? And Jesus says, it's as you say. But from here on out, you will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of glory, given power and dominion in a kingdom. Caiaphas knew so much that he was referring to Daniel 7 that he tore his clothes and cried out blasphemy. 
We have no further need of a trial. What further need do we have? This man is blasphemous because claiming to be the son of man is claiming to be God. And so he says, the days will come when you will want to see the days of the son of man and you won't see him. You ever play the game? If you could be at any time in the world, if you could be anywhere, where would you want to be? If you're talking to a Christian, you have to add this. It can't be during the days of Jesus. Because every one of us is going to go, Jesus, I want to see Jesus. I want to hear Jesus teach. I want to be there. So I, I'll, when we're playing that game, I'll always add that. Can't be during the time of Jesus. Because we want to see it. But listen to what he says here. I just read it. And they will say to you, look here and look there. Do not go and follow them. People are going to say, he came back. Look over, he's over here. He's over there. Don't follow them. Cults realized a long time ago that if they talk about eschatology, if they talk about prophecy, they can get a crowd. And so they set dates. Jesus is coming back and this started in the 1840s. And there's a lot of different groups that branched off of this 1840s group that set dates and they still set dates. So there's been a lot of dates set. And again, you can do research. You can look at who these cults are. Uh, and then the date came and went. And you think, you think a cult leader is going to go, I made a mistake. I was wrong. No. Instead, they said he came back invisibly. <laughs> One group says he came back visibly, but he's in the inner chamber. You can't see him. He's here, but you guys can't see him. He's hanging out in a room somewhere. He's going to watch the Super Bowl from his room somewhere today. <laughs> what does Jesus say? Don't go after them or follow them. So when they're knocking on my door, I tell them, Jesus said not to follow you because you guys said Jesus came back invisibly. And he said in Matthew 17, not to follow you. So I'm not following you. I'm going to follow what Jesus said, not you. Verse 24, for as lightning flashes out of one part of heaven, under heaven shines to another part under heaven, so also will the Son of Man be in his day. It's not going to be invisible. He's not coming back to an inner chamber. When light, if you walk outside, there's a storm brewing and lightning flashes, you see it. You, you, sometimes you see a falling star. And when I'm with my wife, and she goes, did you see that falling star? I'm like, no, where? And I, we wanted to see it. When lightning strikes, boom. Wow. You don't have to say, did you see that? Everyone's going to see it. Everyone's going to know. That's what Jesus is saying. He's not coming back privately. He's coming back to this world and everyone will see him. So then he says, but first, before this happens, he wants them to know, don't expect it right away. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And then he tells them what the days of the end of the days are going to be like. He says, as it, and as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. He goes on to explain a little bit more what he's talking about. He says, they ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. Now he's talking about the rapture of the church. The world's just going to be going on as normal. Doesn't mean that the birth pains aren't getting crazy. It just means people are still marrying and eating and drinking and doing their thing until the day that we are taken out of this world like Noah was taken into the ark. Also, the days of Noah were violent. And our world is becoming increasingly violent. The days of, of Noah 
were days of some genetic weirdness. It says that the sons of God, uh, Genesis chapter 6, the first four verses, the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful and they married them. And the offspring were Nephilim, the mighty men of old, of renown. Now, I don't have time to talk about that. That's a whole study in itself. And we'll talk about it someday. And it's a strange passage. Who are the sons of God? And who are the daughters of men? And why, when they marry, are their offspring giants? Rephidim. Why are they, why are they Nephilim? It's interesting. And here I'm just spitballing a little bit, okay? It's interesting that you have Neanderthals and you have Homo sapiens and they intermarried. We know that they did because we have 2% Neanderthal in us. Some people have like 10, 15%. <laughs> but isn't that interesting? That, that while Neanderthals who were humans and Homo sapiens who were humans intermarried and so much so that all of us have some Neanderthal in us. When lions and tigers can mate and have offspring, but it never happens in the wild because their habitats are so far apart. They don't overlap anywhere. So it never happens in the wild, but it happens in captivity and it happens on purpose. And the result of a tiger and a lion mating is a liger or a tigan. I don't know. I don't know how they determine that. Mother or father is a lion and a tiger and they call them whatever. Um, but the interesting thing, this is really interesting to me. The offspring is bigger than a tiger and a lion. The offspring of these two is bigger. And that's just, uh, what, what, am I, what am I saying? I don't know. <laughs> I'm simply saying genetic stuff was happening in their day and genetic stuff is happening in our day. There are, there are laboratories around the world where they are experimenting with making superhumans. This isn't hidden. They're doing the experiments. So it is as it was in the days of Noah today. Men, there's violence. Men are doing the same thing. And then it's, that day will be like then. Noah went in the boat and then destruction came. He, those, the, the righteous eight had to be taken out before God could destroy the world. He gives another example. He says, likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot. They ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Again, God couldn't destroy Sodom until Lot whose righteous heart was vexed day and night by what he saw around him. Is your heart vexed by what you see around you in the world today? He, could, he had to be taken out before the destruction could come. But again, they were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying on the day that it rained fire and brimstone on them. So the, when the tribulation period starts, everything in this world is going on as normal. That's why Jesus comes back at a time you don't expect him. The... Um, it goes on to say here, even so will it be when the Son of Man is revealed. Now, he says something in verse 31 that seems strange. He says, in that day, he who was on the housetop and his goods are in the house, let him not go down and take him away. And likewise, the one who was in the field, let him not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. 
And so now you go, well, wait a minute, I thought we were gone. And then you see this happen. Well, I'm really glad that there's another passage that uses this exact same language. And it's in Matthew 24. And Jesus says this, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel, that's the Antichrist putting up an image in the newly rebuilt temple in Jerusalem and, and demanding people worship him. He says, when you see the abomination of desolation, which Daniel spoke about, and you're on your rooftop, don't go in your house and get your stuff. If you're in the field, don't go in your house and get your stuff. So we know that he's talking now about the middle of the tribulation period. He's talking about tribulation saints. Don't, don't go hit your boat up. Don't go down and get your prized possessions. Get out of there, is what he's saying. And he says, remember Lot's wife. You remember that, that she was taken out of Sodom, but her heart was still in Sodom. She had her life there. And even though there was a lot of weirdness, she had made a life there. And so her heart was in Sodom and she looked back and she became salt, a pillar of salt which one pastor said became really awkward around the dinner table. When you would say, pass the salt, the kids would go, dad. I like it. But remembering Lot's wife is to say that we are not to have our hearts in this world. We are not to look back. Some of us are just too attached. We love this world and we love the things of the world. And, and James told us, that's spiritual idolatry. Excuse me, that's spiritual adultery. You are to love God and have your heart attached to God. And when you love the world and your heart is attached to the world, it's spiritual adultery to God. So he says, remember Lot's wife. Then he says in verse 33, whoever seeks to save his life will lose it and whoever loses his life will preserve it. So this is then and now, maybe more so then, but if you, if you say, I don't want God, I want to live my own life. You're going to lose it. But if you say, I give you my life, Lord, I want to live for you. Now you've saved it. You've now discovered what real life is all about. And some of you here have never given your life to Christ. Some of you here, and, and the word Christ is simply the, the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah. And some of you here never give, have given your life to Christ. You've never received Christ. Because maybe you think, I go to church. I don't need to receive Christ. I'm a good person. And maybe by human standards you are. I have no reason to think not. Maybe by human standards you're a good person. But you're not compared to God. Isaiah might have thought that he was a good person. But Isaiah said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. He saw a vision of God. And the train of his robe filled the temple. And I said, woe am I, for I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips. When he saw God, he realized who he really was. You don't want to see God on the day of judgment and realize who you really are. You want to receive Christ now. You want to receive Christ today and begin to live for him. And you'll save your life by giving it up, by saying, I'm no longer going to live for myself, God, but I am now going to live for you. You save your life. He goes on to say, then, I tell you that in night there will be two men in one bed, which is not, nothing weird going on, nothing funky going on. One will be taken and the other one left. 
since the ancient world, two guys were in one bed and one is taken and one's left. I think this is the rapture. Other people believe that it's the end of the tribulation period where the wicked people are taken away. Okay. Um, I'm not saying that that doesn't have any merit, but I'm saying I, th I think it's the rapture. It says two women will be grinding together. One will be taken and the other one left grinding corn, uh, wheat, whatever. Uh, two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other one left. So that again is this weird thing of just two people together. Boom. One's taken, one's taken, one's taken. And it's just strange. And they said to him, uh, where, Lord? Which is just an interesting question. Where? They could have said, where, when, why? What are you talking about? There's an Old Testament passage where God says to his people, come into my chamber for a little while until the indignation has passed. I think he's referring to the rapture in the Old Testament. I think it's an Old Testament rapture passage. But they're like, where, Lord? This is weird to them. I, we, don't, we don't understand. So he tells them this. This is the end of our passage. So he said to them, wherever the body is, there the eagles will gather together. Now there's two thoughts on this. Just like there's two thoughts on which person is taken. Some say this is what's spoken of in Revelation 19 when God calls the birds of the air to come and feed on the carrion of men the great feast of the Lord. He calls to the birds to the great feast of the Lord. And this is after the battle of Armageddon. And you can just picture the blood's flowing and birds are picking at bodies. It's a horrible, it's a horrible end to the world. But he uses the word for birds and in other places he uses the word for vultures. The word here is eagles, which is a bird that eats meat they eat carrion, right? So it could be connected. But others believe that what he's saying here is the body is the church. And in other places in the Bible, we are called the body of Christ. Where the body is, there the eagles will be gathered. And that he's making a reference to us being lifted up on eagles' wings and being gathered together at the rapture of the church. Which one is it? I don't know. I'm clueless. I don't even lean one way or another way. I have a shelf in my mind and it's getting bigger, not smaller. When I don't understand something in the Bible, I put it on that shelf for further information. I need to know more. I don't understand this. Sometimes on that shelf, I'm reading a passage somewhere and I go, that's it. I can take that off the shelf. I got it now. Other times, we'll probably find out in heaven. We'll find out and go, oh, that's what that passage meant. I, I don't know. Both are true. Both are going to happen. What does Jesus mean exactly? I don't know. Let me end with this. In 1 John 3, 2 and 3, I'm going to end with two verses. 1 John 3, 2 and 3 says, Beloved, now are we the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we will be like him. Jesus became a human when he rose from the dead, his body was changed and we are going to be like him. We will have his form and he took our form for all of eternity. We will be like him for we shall see him as he is. And everyone 
who has this hope purifies himself even as he is pure. Do you have behavioral issues in your life? Do you have sin issues? Do you have addiction issues? These are not easy to overcome. None of them. You've been living a certain way for so long. It's not easy to overcome them, but they need to be overcome. You got to get ready. You got to get those issues out of your life. When God convicts you, the word conviction is not a bad word. It's a good word. It means convince. When God convinces you this area in your life needs to change, then you work on changing it. it might not happen overnight. It's going to take a, behavioral issues take a while to change. And, the, and but the, you're, you're working on it. You're asking God to forgive you and you're asking God to help you get it out of your life and you're working on it. You're, you're working to make things right. And the issues that you may be going on in your life, you may be looking at, you may be addicted to pornography. You may be addicted to alcohol. You may be living with someone you're not married with and in a sexual relationship with them. These things need to be changed. These things you have to work out. And, and, and a hundred other things I could say. It's God, you're, God's convicting you. The Holy Spirit will convict you and talk to you about what you need to do. And if you are living together, we'll help you. Because people often say we can't afford it and we can't, you know, we don't know what to do. We'll help you. Come and talk to us. We're not just telling you what the Bible says and what you need to do. We're here for you, okay? Come and talk to one of our pastors. Just say, we don't know how to do this. We, we don't think we can do it right. We'll help you. For some of you guys that have been living together, I, I, I've talked to people that have been living together for 20 years. And I'm like, why aren't you married? And they're like, well, I don't know. And I'm like, I'll marry you. I'll marry you tonight. I tell you what, you go down and you get your license. You bring it back at a church service. I'll marry you before the service. They're like, really? I'm like, yeah. You guys have been living together for 20 years. I'll marry you. We'll do it. We'll help you. Luke 21, 34 and 36. And I love this verse. But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the cares of this life. Carousing is looking for sex. There are a lot of people and Christians who are looking constantly for sexual experiences. That's carousing. There are people that go out at night just looking to hook up. That's carousing. And it's going to weigh down your heart as a Christian. Drunkenness. Drinking is debatable. But getting drunk is not debatable. And if you're living, and people do this, they live to get drunk. They can't wait for the weekend so they can get drunk. It's going to weigh down your heart. And the cares of this life, which again could be hundreds of things. Oh, do I have enough to retire? I need to really worry about that. What am I going to do with it? You know, we just got a hundred, again, a hundred things. They're going to weigh you down. And that day comes upon you unexpectedly. Because you're doing these things, the day comes upon you unexpectedly for it will come as a snare for all of those who dwell on the face of the earth, to earth dwellers. And if you're an earth dweller and you're weighed down with these things, it's going to keep you from having eagle's wings and being taken up. It says, watch therefore and pray always that you would be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass. I've had people tell me, you just want to escape the tribulation. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You got it. Pray that you be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. That's the rapture. We escape these things that are going to come upon this world and we stand before the Son of Man. Make things right. Don't delay Get things right with God today. 
cry out to him, ask him for help, tell him your weakness, tell him that you're a, that whatever it is that you're drawn to, talk to him, find forgiveness, find help, let God work inside of you and become the child of God you're supposed to be. Stand with me, would you, and let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the depth of your word. Thank you that we can, can see these passages where Jesus talks to us about the end of the world and we look around us and we see them taking place today. And we pray, Lord, that we would be purified by your spirit. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.